the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. The rest of the American League, as I told you, is not messing around. The Red Sox need to be ready to make some big moves. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a busy Thursday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a full show today, all 90 minutes going right up until 7 o'clock. Buster Only from ESPN is going to stop by in 15 minutes. We'll talk a lot about the Red Sox trade of Hunter Renfro, but also the labor strife and the lockout that we are now currently in right now across baseball. We've got an interview posted online with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus about the Patriots and Bills, and we're efforting an MLB prospect guru to talk about the players the Red Sox acquired in the Hunter Renfro deal. So tons to get to, and a lot of stuff on UVM Athletics today as well. You can get in, as always, Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Here's the story. It broke just before midnight yesterday. The last move the Red Sox made before the lockout was imposed. Hunter Renfro traded from the Red Sox to the Milwaukee Brewers for Jackie Bradley Jr., former Red Sox outfielder, and two infield prospects by the names of David Hamilton and Alex Benellas. Okay, you know JBJ, Gold Glove caliber center fielder. Benellas is a 21-year-old who was a third-round pick this past year. Hit 309, nine home runs, 29 RBIs in the low minors. Hamilton is 24 years old. He's got elite speed. That's the deal. Renfro for Bradley and the two infield prospects. And this was a shocker to a lot of people, including me late last night. I really was not expecting this at all. Renfro had 31 homers and 96 RBIs last year, and he goes away for Bradley and two minor league prospects. Like I told you yesterday, multiple things can be true at the same time, and in this case, they are. Multiple things are true. So we're going to go through this together. What do you think of the deal? Renfro for JBJ and two prospects. 802-585-3026. Multiple things are true. So here we go. One, the Boston Red Sox are worse today. That's an undeniable fact. That is not just simply my opinion. That is an undeniable fact. The Boston Red Sox that got to the American League Championship Series that have made a couple of lukewarm pitching um, you know, signings this offseason so far, they are now worse by having dealt Hunter Renfro for this return. There's no denying it. Renfro, 31 homers, 96 ribbies, 30-plus doubles. There is now a ton of offense for the Boston Red Sox to replace, 
and it is not being replaced by Jackie Bradley Jr. Jackie Bradley Jr. just hit 163 for the Brewers in 130-plus games. He's a career 230 hitter. And that offense is not being replaced by two minor league prospects that are not major league ready right now. So the Red Sox are not better today as a result of this move. So if you are angry, if you are frustrated, and if you are confused, I understand. The Red Sox are not better today. You don't just replace 31 homers and 96 RBIs with a guy who just hit 163 and a couple of minor leaguers. So if you're angry today, if you're frustrated that the last move the Red Sox made prior to the lockout was this move, I get it. Here's what else is also true, though. I told you, multiple things can be true at once, and multiple things are true here. Here's what else is true, and it's not going to make everybody happy. We cannot judge this move until the rest of the offseason is over. We have to give High and Bloom a chance to do something else because they need to do something else. And High and Bloom has to know that. He has to know that you can't replace that offense from Hunter Renfro with this return. We have to give him the chance to do the rest of the offseason. If they truly did nothing, nothing else, then this move would be a complete failure. And I'd be right there with the pitchforks with you. But if this move, which has now opened up in my mind an outfield spot, if this move leads to the Red Sox signing Chris Bryant to play left field, you'll view it differently. If this move leads to Kyle Schwarber being brought back, you'll view it differently. If this move leads to Bobby Dahlbeck playing left field a little bit and the team signing Freddie Freeman to play first base, you'll view it differently. We have to give Bloom a chance to go through the rest of the offseason because we've got to see what he's doing next because he's got to do something next. There are other moves to be made that can make this move look good but we need to see what they are. On its own right now, this is not, in my mind, a good move. There are good elements to it, but on its own, this move does not help a team get closer to the World Series, a team that was a couple of wins away from the World Series a year ago. And you know how much I love Bloom. On its own, this move, to me, not worth doing. What's coming next? That's the big question. Both things can be true. This move... If it opens up a slot for something else, then fine. Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos. uh, There's all kinds of things that can be done that make this move look really worthwhile. We've got to find out what they are yet. And I'll say this, by the way. I I don't think that... Here's here's what I firmly believe today. While we got to wait for the future to see how everything plays out, here's what I firmly believe today... Jackie Bradley Jr. is not an everyday outfielder for the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox acquired Jackie Bradley Jr., who they know is well-liked, who they know is well-liked by the team, and who they know can play good defense and can run. I don't think they acquired him. 
to be an everyday outfielder. His offense is now too much of a liability for that. He's just, to me, an extra piece. He's a fourth outfielder. He's a great fourth outfielder, a defensive replacement, a pinch runner. He'll, he'll start games, don't get me wrong. The Red Sox value flexibility. So if they want to sit Verdugo, JBJ can play. If they want to put Kike Hernandez at second for its spell, then JBJ can play. But he's not, to me, a 162-game infielder anymore. And Lou Merloni, former Red Sox infielder, he agrees with me. I think they're still going to go. They, now they got to get an outfielder. I don't, they're not going to settle with Jackie Bradley, in my opinion. I mean, you, you know, in center field. I don't yeah. think so. I completely agree with Lou. Jackie Bradley is a fourth outfielder. And look, that would be a good thing to have, especially of his caliber. Last year, the Red Sox didn't really have a fourth outfielder that they could go to consistently. It was Franchi Cordero for a bit, and it was, you know, there's there so many of them, I can't even remember who they all were at times. It was Franchi Cordero for a bit, and it was Jaron Duran for a bit. Jackie Bradley Jr. to me is this team's fourth outfielder, and that's what he should be. Three. Let's also understand this. Of the multiple things that can be true, this is the third one. This trade is not about getting Jackie Bradley Jr. He is an add-on. He is a extra piece. This team is this move rather is all about the prospects. David Hamilton and Alex Benellis. This is Hyam Bloom doing what Hyam Bloom does. This is him selling high on Renfro. And this is him buying prospects. That's what this move is. Jackie Bradley Jr. will be a part of this team. He will help in various ways. But this move was not about him. It was about buying prospects. Same as we saw him do with Adam Adovino last year. Remember Adovino? We've talked about this. They took on $8 million in Adovino's salary for the purpose of getting Frank Herman, a young minor league pitcher. This is the Brewers fed up with Bradley and his, his inability to hit and them sending Bradley's contract to the Red Sox. And, hey, you take Bradley's contract, thank you. We'll give you two prospects also. That's what this is. This is the Red Sox taking on money for a fourth outfielder in order to get the prospects. And if you don't think that I'm right, that's what everybody's saying, once again, including Lou Merloni. Well, no, I'm just saying they got a, th- a third-round pick, this kid Benayas, and I think another kid Hamilton. Uh, so it's about those two guys. It's not about Jackie. Yes, they're going to use the big league outfielder, and he's going to maybe play center. And I don't even know where he's going to be, if he's going to be the starting center fielder or not. We know he can play D, can't okay. hit. But I think this is more about acquiring these two prospects for a guy like Hunter Wren. There you go. It's about acquiring the two prospects. It's about building up that farm system. It's about continuing to build that prospect depth. That's what this move's about. And I saw somebody reach out to me today that said, Brady, why would they acquire a couple of infielders when they've already got a couple of infielders that are close to the majors? Why would they do this? Because it's all about prospect depth. It's all about your farm system. I don't know. Maybe Benellis and Hamilton play for the Red Sox at some point, or maybe they're trade bait, or Maybe Jeter Downs is trade bait, and these guys now slide into the spot that he occupied. Maybe this is protection in case Xander Bogarts leaves in free agency next year and you can't get him back. So just because you don't need all these infielders now doesn't mean you won't need them all later. I'm all for acquiring prospect depth. 
on its own, this move is no good as far as I'm concerned. But if it's paired with something else that helps the major league roster more, then I'm for it. Because if you go out and you trade Renfro and you get Bradley as your fourth outfielder, but you sign Chris Bryant or you sign Nick Castellanos or you sign Jorge Soler, then that move can look fine. And you got two prospects. We gave up Renfro. We got a defensive outfielder, fourth outfielder, plays great defense. We signed a guy who can hit and take Renfro's place. And we got two prospects that help our farm system. That would be a move then that we would all love. Today, this move stinks. By the end of the offseason, this move could look great. We've got to understand all sides of it. The Red Sox are worse today, but come whenever the hell we play baseball again, they, j- they may just end up looking like geniuses for this deal. And this deal is about the prospects. It was about buying prospects, a little bit of help at the major league level. How you fill the void of Renfro's offense, that's the key to all of this. Help the farm system all you want. But this team was two wins away from the World Series. Help the farm system all you want, but don't do it solely at the expense of a major league roster that was this close. This close to the pinnacle. Farm system is very important. I'm a huge advocate of that. You know it. But in addition to helping the farm system, you got to help the major league team. And whoever they make a move for next, whenever we're allowed to make moves next, that's the key to all of this. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know what I think of this trade. What do the experts think? ESPN MLB Insider and Vermont native Buster Olney. He's going to give us his spin on it and the labor strife that's going on and when might we play baseball again. Buster Olney next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in. Brady Parker Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Continuing to break down all that's happening in Major League Baseball. ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney is with us now as he is every Thursday. Buster, I hope you had a great holiday, so let's get right to it. I've got questions on the lockout. We'll get to them soon, but let's start with what we were just talking about. Red Sox make the move last night before the lockout was imposed. They trade Hunter Renfro to the Brewers for two prospects and Jackie Bradley Jr. What did you make of that deal? Um, and boy, it's fun to actually talk about some baseball to yeah. start with, right? And then hopefully it's all baseball that uh, is going to be meaningful. Uh, that deal was a surprise to people around the game. You know, I talked to folks who are not with the Red Sox or not with the Brewers. And they were surprised that the Red Sox made that deal because, A, they thought Hunter Renfro was a really good player for them last year, uh, you know, good complimentary piece, and they saw the struggles that Jackie Bradley Jr. had. Um, and, you know, it was essentially the Red Sox buying the, those two prospects and seeing value in those two prospects. And, you know, that goes in keeping with how Hein Bloom has gradually built up the depth within their farm system. But it was a surprise. Uh, to, to folks I talked with with other teams that they uh, that they did that. I completely agree with you. I just said that in the last segment that this deal was about buying those prospects. But at you know with with that you know understanding, is Bradley a guy at this point with his 
offense or lack of offense, can he be an everyday outfielder for the Red Sox, or is he the fourth guy and they need to make another move whenever the market opens back up? Well, and I was talking about this with a friend, uh, you know, who also knows Alex Cora, and we agreed that, you know, probably Alex Cora, as they made this deal, you know, he might have been in the background saying, look, nobody plays center field in Fenway Park, which is very different than any center field of any other park than Jackie Bradley. Uh, and he also may feel like that he can help them offensively. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, uh, I, you do wonder, you know, is this going to be a case where, uh, you know, Jackie, if he struggles, they essentially would move up, move on from him. You know, they'll give him, you know, two, three months, see if he hits, and if he doesn't, be prepared to move on because that's how acute his struggles were last season. So you, so it sounds like you're thinking Jackie Bradley Jr. is the center fielder and Kike Hernandez goes back to second base. Then that's what you think the initial plan is. No, 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 no. I, I don't. I, I think they'll. You know, it's all moving parts, and it depends on the matchup day to day. Um, you know, and and I think it just depends on what they see in Jackie as a hitter when uh, whenever they start spring training and they begin that process. You know. This team was really tight-knit last year, and Renfro was a part of that. So ordinarily, I would say this move could send shockwaves throughout the roster and upset people from a team chemistry standpoint. Does the fact that you're bringing back Bradley alleviate those concerns? I don't, I don't know, uh, and you do wonder. I mean, one of the questions we had on the Baseball Tonight set on uh, late Wednesday night was whether or not another element to this uh, could be, hey, you know, you uh, – you potentially, uh, in terms of salaries, in terms of clearing a space, maybe it also opened something up for Kyle Schwarber, you know, and maybe, and that was someone who was uh, really valued within the organization in terms of his impact on other people. Schwarber's one of the best players who wasn't signed before uh, the deadline last night, and, you know, maybe that opens up. But, I mean, look, Jackie's a well-liked guy, he's a respected guy. Obviously, Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, Alex Cora, all going to be very familiar with him. This is a team buster that went to the ALCS last year. Should they be dealing significant parts of their major league roster in order to build up that farm system? Well, on the face of it, you'd say no. What I keep on hearing from the Red Sox people is that they really are excited about the depth they have in their farm system. And look, Heimblum, uh, his uh, training, you know, his formative years were with the Tampa Bay Rays. And what do the Rays do better than anybody? They build up uh, farm system depth. And so when they call up a guy, he seems ready for the big leagues. He's further evolved. Uh, you can't argue with the Rays' success. Uh, I think that's the, you know, that's the blueprint that Heim's working from. You know, you've seen it at a, at a at big market level with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers, similarly, under Andy Friedman, who was one time's boss, uh, that's how they operate. It's not apparent to us now. Uh, I'd be very interested to see what our perspective is in another two years. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here every single Thursday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Pitching-wise, the Red Sox have made a couple of moves. They signed Rich Hill. They signed Michael Walker. They get James Paxton, who we know will be available midseason-ish. What do you think of the rotational moves, and are they enough? Not... I don't think they're enough right now where we can say they could win the division, uh, you know, or go into a season as being the favorites to win a division. But I think they're okay, right? Um, you know, some of it will depend to some degree on the development of some of their young starters. 
who evolves in. I love the the safety nets effectively that you're creating. Um, you know, you're hoping that in in uh, you know Michael Walker's case that he's someone who can you know give you 120 competitive innings. That's uh, I know going into the last off season, a lot of people looked at him as being a guy who uh, you know potentially could fill that role. Uh, you know, I I love Rich Hill. I think it's a great addition, and you know he's such an unusual pitcher because not only does he throw that curveball uh, higher, that uh, you know great curveball higher at a higher rate than any other pitcher in baseball, but he also is one of the few pitchers who change arms angles all the time, uh, and that in itself has made him unique. Uh, and and I think he's you know that that is someone that you absolutely trust, and you hope that uh, you know he can help you as you go along. Buster, which American League competitor has gotten the best through free agency? Boy, um, I'm going to say for me this year, this winter, it's the Seattle Mariners. Yes, uh, and I know you're going to love to hear that, right? <laughs> when you get Robbie Ray, uh, and I, you know, from what I understand from agents, they felt like that there was some traction being made by uh, your Mariners to uh, add a third baseman now. When baseball restarts, whether that's in two months or in six months, <laughs> uh, you know, does that mean that they potentially could be a front runner for a Chris Bryant? Does it mean that they would be a front runner for a guy like Trevor Story? I don't know. Uh, but if, in fact, they add a third baseman to what they have with Oakland taking a step back, getting ready to trade a bunch of guys, uh, I kind of like your Mariners. What about you? I, I like my Mariners too. I said that the most improved team was Detroit in part because they had more room to make up. Like, I don't think Texas has done enough, even with all the offense. They still have so many other holes. I think Detroit is the team that I take from, you know, 77 and 85 last year. I could easily see them going 85 and 77 and being a player in the wild card. I I don't feel the same way about Detroit. Uh, Look, I think that probably the most criticized move that I've heard, uh, you know, up to the last night's uh, work stoppage, was the Tigers' uh, investment in Javier Baez yeah. because the feeling is is that he, there's just too much swing and miss. And you know, I, I had a conversation with my 17 year old son who just loves sports, and I said, "Look, I you know I talk to executives all the time, and their big question about Javier Baez is, uh, in a perfect lineup, in a perfect uh, place, where would you hit him in a lineup?" And he paused for about one second because he you know saw the high strikeout, low on base percentage guy very streaky hitter he said six and i said that's exactly what team executives say to me that he's more of a six-hole hitter and to pay a six-hole hitter you know 23 four, 24 million dollars a year that that uh is too rich for the blood of a lot of, team, of teams in baseball buster only espn with us here on the brady farkas show as he is every single thursday all right let's move to the labor stuff we know we're in a lockout right now we have no idea how long it's going to last. You have been telling me every week for four years that the situation has never been as bad as it is right now. I think this morning on ESPN Radio, you said you don't think we go to spring training on time. Are we talking about missed games here, you think, in 2022? I think there's a real chance for that. Uh, Look, on the show that we did last night, the midst of that, I got a text message from an agent who said that he sold his clients uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Easter, and I'll talk to you about Flag Day, wow. which is June 14th. Um, that would be devastating. You hope that cooler heads prevail. You know, Rob Manfred's history uh, you know, in, in negotiations is that he's a deal maker. You know, maybe because of the, the owners 
financial losses with the regional sports networks, maybe that compels them. Uh, on the player's side, maybe the fact that the longer the you know any work stoppage goes on, the more vulnerable the players are. Maybe they come back to the table at some point, or maybe they you know they start to be more proactive in the conversation. I just can't identify that mechanism right at this moment that actually is going to you know change things. I, I you know it's not only about you know, labor law and the, and the position of each and what their respective, uh, you know, uh, perspectives are. But it's also, uh, to me, about whether or not, uh, you know, that there's a collaborative, cooperative uh, relationship between the two sides. And that's where it's so bad. Like, it doesn't feel like, unlike even during labor issues in 1990, 94, 95, and 2002, it always felt like that, you know, Gene Orza and Don Fear and, uh, you know, the MLB negotiators, they could at least have dialogue. They could go for a walk. And I just don't know how much... You know, exploratory dialogue there is going on between the two sides. That's not good. Is there a, is this a situation where there's a clear right and wrong side, or are there truly valid points on both sides? I don't know. You know, it's funny because last night, uh, you know, I just tweeted out that, well, you know, I have the labor stoppage, and there are a couple writers and, you know, a player were tweeting out, well, though, this, is, this whole situation is, uh, is uh, you know, lockout by the owners. They created this. And my response was, well, in 94, 95, when the players struck, was that all the players? <laughs> hmm. Right? Yeah. When, in fact, it was actually a, a fight among owners that led to that labor. So the idea that, you know, it's all one side or all the other side, I don't think that's nuanced. I think you get down to this, um, you know, th- this problem was created with that 2016 labor agreement, which turned out to be a disaster for the players. Uh, they are trying to take back the financial ground that they lost then. And it does feel like that they're reaching for trying to reach for a whole lot of it back at once. Uh, you can make an argument that you know some of their uh, maybe it's an overreach. And on the other side, I do think that when you know you talk about the owners, when we have issues like tanking, where teams like the Orioles cut their payrolls to the bone, the Pirates cut their payrolls to the bone. You know what? Why aren't the owners taking care of that? Like, why aren't the owners going to those teams and saying? You know, you have a responsibility within a 30-team league to try to be competitive. Uh, uh, and, and you wish that that would happen. As I say, I, I really feel like that, uh, while they're, you know, you might lean one way or the other, but I do think there, there are adjustments to be made on both sides. Buster, I, I was so excited to talk about Jackie Bradley and Hunter Renfro with you. I glossed over Thanksgiving. You were in Vermont, as I recall. How was it? It was awesome. Yeah, day in, in Burlington, uh, you know, it was down in Addison County, back in Randolph Center for a couple days, uh, you know, having fun with my siblings. It was awesome. And my, uh, you know, I, I make the world's best mashed potatoes, but they got <laughs> taken over by my niece. She saw, and she saw errors being made by me, so she stepped in. And uh, I, thankfully, she corrected, and we got a lot better. <laughs> well, I thought of you when I was driving back from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I spent Thanksgiving, and when I passed the Randolph exit, I tried to. T- I thought about taking a picture of it as I was driving. I decided that would not be very safe, and I would just wait to tell you that I passed your exit. So uh, I, I was thinking about you though over the holiday. So Buster, we will talk again next week. I don't know what exactly we will talk about, but we will do it again in seven days. There'll be something, Brady. <laughs> All right. My, my, look at the time. CBS News update joining it in progress. We'll recap Buster in the next hour on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I could talk to Buster all day. I love our weekly segment with Buster. The full interview will be available shortly on the Brady Farkas show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So go through and find it there. Remember to, to uh, subscribe to us and follow us. It's pretty amazing. Every December, um, Spotify puts out like a list of kind of how your podcast has performed and I think I saw something like 30 of you out there listen to the Brady Farkas show podcast more than any other podcast and uh, we certainly do appreciate that our listeners are awesome the live listeners here on DEV the podcast listeners from all around the world so thank you you guys have helped this show grow and we will continue to be appreciative of that we're going to react to some of what Buster had to say throughout the six o'clock hour but again i took it right into the news update so couldn't get a chance to do it right after his interview but uh, i do want to react to it because there's a lot of good stuff there i want to turn to the local sports stuff here for a little while because uvm men's basketball who i've been hard on for the last couple of days rebounded nicely yesterday a big win for the catamount hoops team they beat dartmouth in a blowout game 83 to 65 uvm got up 10 nothing at one point and never looked back so the catamounts are six and three overall they get an 18-point win over Dartmouth yesterday. Here's the skinny. UVM gets 83 points, their highest point total in any Division One on Division One game this year. Excellent. They had six players in double figures in this win, 16 from Ryan Davis, 13 from Finn Sullivan, 13 from Ben Shungu, 11 from Isaiah Powell. They get 10 from Cam Gibson. They get 10 from Justin Missoula two of which came right here. Driving Sullivan, lays it off. Missoula's layup is good. There's the fifth pattern. So UVM also shoots 8 of 20 from 3. That's 40%, which is 15% higher than what they'd been shooting heading into that game, which was 25%. So all of these things are good. And it was a good way for UVM to beat back some of the questions that I've been asking about this team for the last week and change. And look, I don't have unrealistic expectations on a game-to-game -game basis. I may have unrealistic expectations season-to-season, -season, but game-to-game, -game, I don't think I have unrealistic expectations. I don't need UVM to do that offensively every game. 83 a game, that's unrealistic. Six guys in double figures, that's unrealistic. So I don't need that every game. But I do need the ability to do that every game. I need to see that you have that ability, and I need to see it more consistently than once every nine games. I need to see UVM put up points more consistently. I don't need six guys in double figures, but can you get me four guys in double figures with any kind of regularity? I said three guys need to average in double figures, but can they get a fourth there every single night to help the cause? So they've got to be able to do in the middle of what they have been doing and what they did last night. I don't think that's unrealistic. I said all along, I thought UVM needed to average 70 points a game. Well, I went and looked. 70 points a game right now would put you at 218th out of 350 teams nationally in Division One. That's not even that big an ask. I think UVM should be able to get to at least 70 a game. They don't need 83 a game. But can they get to 70 consistently? Can they hit in that neighborhood of eight threes every game? Can they shoot in the mid-30s to the low 40s every single game? These are not unrealistic asks by me. I think they're attainable. 
and I think that UVM should be able to get there. And by the way, again, like they saw yesterday, can they get multiple players in the scoring action and not just have to solely rely on Ryan Davis and Ben Chungo? Yesterday was great. It was a great start to it. And also, interesting, UVM made a change to the starting rotation. Robin Duncan was out, and Robin Duncan played, but Robin Duncan didn't score. I told you, when you play Robin Duncan and Bailey Patella, you punt offense. And Duncan, I think, had no points or two points, and Bailey Patella had three. You punt offense. And it's not that they're bad players. They're just not right now the right players for a team that can't score. If this team had four guys that could go for 20 a game, and I'd say, fine, play me the guys that rebound and play defense, and they don't have to score. Dre Wills, back in the day, didn't score for UVM very much. He played electrifying defense, and he rebounded, and that was fine. If he got you sixth, then it was unbelievable. It was like Christmas morning. But this UVM team needs offense, so Finn Sullivan starts and gets 13 points. That's great. I expect that we'll see Finn Sullivan starting more. So, um if anybody was at the game, give me your assessment of how UVM looked because it looked pretty good to me. They don't need to do that every night, but they've got to be able to show they have the ability to do that stuff with some kind of regularity. I don't I don't expect 83 points a game. I'm asking for 70. And considering that would be 218th nationally, still in the back half, like well in the back half, I don't think that that's unrealistic. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I do also want to mention this. This was very cool news put out by UVM today. Actually, we broke this story. We'll get to that in a second. Two UVM hockey coaches are going to be coaching at the upcoming World Junior Championships. World Junior Championships are right around Christmas. They're the biggest, I guess the biggest event on the specifically on the junior stage. I guess I would call it the amateur stage, although the Olympics still have an element of amateurism, you know, in that I don't think the guys are being paid for playing in them, but they are using professionals. So it's certainly the biggest non-professional event out there. So the World Junior Championships is a big deal. We broke this story. We already knew that Steven Wiedler was going to be coaching at Norway or for Norway as on their staff at the World Juniors, but we broke today that Scott Mosier who's another assistant at UVM, was going to be coaching on Team Slovakia. So that's right. We here on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV, we did a little Big J journalism. Every once in a while, we do a little Big J journalism. And it's so ironic because when I got into this business, and I've kind of told you about my evolution in this business, and if you've been listening, you've, you've you just kind of heard it on your own. But when I got into this business, I was pretty stiff. And I don't know maybe that I would call it boring, but I was very, very stats-driven and very, very know-it-all-y. And I was convinced that even though I was on the radio, I was a journalist. I studied journalism. I talked to people. I tried to gather sources. And my other guys who I was with said, look, we're not journalists. We're entertainers. We're opinionists. And I scoffed at that. No, no, no. I'm a big J journalist. And then, of course, over time, they turned out to be right. I really wasn't doing very much reporting. I now just, I talk to people. I gather some stuff. I have some sources. But for the most part, I'm opining on what's happening rather than reporting it or breaking it. This one we broke. This one was WDEV, Brady Farkas Show, Big J Journalism, Scott Mosier at UVM coaching on Team Slovakia at the World Junior Championships. So 
pat on the back to, to the staff here. We had the sources. We got it right. UVM put it out themselves about three hours after we did. So score one here for us. Score one for the Brady Farkas show. Pretty cool. Good job by everybody all around. And this is really cool on a few different levels, aside from us breaking it. This is a really good story on a few different levels. Let's start here. Individually, Steven Weedler, who's coaching for Norway, and Scott Moser, who's coaching for Slovakia, individually, they now get the chance to coach on the international stage. Again, the World Juniors are a huge deal. Like, all of Canada shuts down for this tournament. They're being held in, uh, in Alberta coming up around Christmas. So... It's really good, and it has the top young players in the world. So it's really good for these UVM coaches to be exposed to that kind of talent. It's really good for these coaches to be exposed to other great coaches and pick up knowledge that they can bring back to help UVM. And it's also really great in terms of advancing their own careers. Todd Woodcroft, the head coach at UVM, has told me on multiple occasions on this show that part of his job is to prepare guys, both the players for the next level, but also coaches for the next level. Some some programs will try to suppress their coaches because they want to keep them on their staff. That's not Todd Woodcroft. So he now has two coaches on the international stage that are bettering their own career, and eventually they might have a chance to run their own program as a result of it. That's a huge thing for those guys. And frankly, I don't know what assisting coaches at UVM get paid. I imagine that it's better than what I make on a full-time basis, but they're not making three hundred and fifty grand there a year to be assistant coaches. So this is kind of a way for those guys to get you know a different form of payment, but additional payment, inexperience, not money. So it's awesome for those coaches individually. Get to be around top talent, get to absorb other coaching techniques and bring it back for themselves and for UVM. And they get a chance to continue to build their resume so they can advance their own career. And I think that's really cool that Todd Woodcroft has allowed them to leave in the season for a couple of games to go and do that. Now, Woodcroft himself is doing that. He's going to the Olympics to coach for Team Sweden, so it certainly would have been hypocritical if he would not allow his his coaches to do that, but he is. And I think that's cool on him because he could try to suppress those guys and keep them at UVM, but he's not. And I think that's awesome. So that's one. It's good for those guys individually as coaches. Two, this helps UVM immensely in recruiting. It puts two more faces out there of UVM around the world right in the recruiting trenches. We have said forever, UVM is not a school at this point that is just going to go into Boston and recruit all the best players from Boston and bring them to UVM and win. It's not going to happen. Those guys are going to go to BC. They're going to go to BU. They're going to go to Northeastern. They're going to go to UMass. So you're not out recruiting the New England schools in New England. As a result, you need to find other recruiting hotspots and now getting in front of different people and different faces around the entire world. That can only be a good thing for UVM athletics and for UVM hockey. UVM has to get creative. And they're doing that. They're getting in front of players from all around the world. These guys, Slovakia, Norway, maybe they've got little brothers, cousins that that you know are coming up that are 15 years old and want a place to play in America 
and now there's a relationship there with a member of the UVM staff. This can only be good. We have seen Todd Woodcroft do this time and time again in the year and a half that he's been at UVM. UVM's got recruits I see from Kazakhstan, and they've got kids from Canada, and they've got kids from the U.S., and they've got kids from, uh, I think, Latvia I've seen. like They've got kids from everywhere. And they are, they've got a, a, a recruit on the Slovakian team. So they need to get creative to beat some of these teams inside Hockey East, and they are doing just that. And then three, another benefit for UVM to all this is that the current team also benefits because Steven Wheeler is going to be gone and Scott Mosier is going to be gone. Those guys now vacate a spot on the bench, and Patrick Sharp is going to take that spot on the bench. Patrick Sharp, volunteer assistant coach, three-time Stanley Cup champion, former Catamount, is now going to be on the bench, and these current players are going to get a chance to be around him with a great deal of regularity on the ice. And that can only be a valuable experience. Heck, it's invaluable. So Scott Mosier and Steven Wheeler going away is great for the future. It's great for their future, and it's great for the program's future with recruiting. As far as the now, though, these players get exposure to a multi-time Stanley Cup champion in Patrick Sharp, and that is an experience they truly will not get anywhere else. I get it. This team has two wins right now. They're not going to the national championship game. But as far as keeping the program fresh and giving players lessons and experiences that they won't be able to replicate... Being around Patrick Sharp for X amount of days and X amount of practices and X amount of games, that is something they can't get anywhere else. And that is very, very cool to me. So when you read the story that UVM is sending a couple coaches to the World Junior Championships, don't gloss over it. It's a big deal. Big for them, big for the program, and now for Patrick Sharp to be here, big for these current players. It's that simple. It's a big deal. Brady Farkas Show. The text line is always open, 802-585-3026. You guys want to get in here about UVM Athletics. Also, you can get in if you want about the Red Sox trade. We'll get back into that soon here. Red Sox trading Hunter Renfro to the Brewers for Jackie Bradley and a couple of prospects. David Hamilton and Alex Pinellas are their names. So now, though, it's 620. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only $20 a month. Think about a great gift that would be for the holiday season. Somebody who's driving around a lot, getting salt and snow and crustiness all over the underside of their car, they need to be a part of a car wash club, and that's what this is. $20 a month, unlimited car washes at Vermont Laser Wash. And if you want a free car wash on us here at WDEV and at Vermont Laser Wash, just Text the word Vermont to the number 30400. 30 Just text the word Vermont. We know now at this point that Major League Baseball has locked out 
the players. And it looks like we are in for a true battle here at the negotiating table. It's already gotten a little bit ugly. Listen to this. MLB.com and all the team websites have scrubbed the players' pictures from them, from their websites. If you go to the Red Sox, redsox.mlb.com, and you click on the roster, you will not see players' headshots. You will see solely gray silhouettes. So the owner, so so the teams basically don't have players. That's that's what MLB is telling you. On the other hand, the players, a lot of them who use their own pictures in their social media pages, they went through and they made their pictures on social media silhouettes of headshots. So these two sides are dug in. The owners are on their side. The players are on their side. How long is this going to last? Here's what Buster Olney said earlier today on ESPN before he came on our show. I think that there is, unless there is a significant change of thought on one side or the other, I don't think there's any chance spring training starts on time. Um, these two sides have demonstrated that, uh, you know, the two leadership groups have demonstrated they don't cooperate, they don't collaborate, uh, the conversations aren't going anywhere. So Buster says he thinks that we're not going to start spring training on time. Here's Tim Kirchin. But when you lock out and everything changes and everything is frozen, it leads to some really bad things from here. And even though we haven't lost games to lockouts yet, there's always a first time. I just hope we don't look at this and go, oh, we've got two months to figure this out. It's going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be fine unless we have serious progress made. So we're talking about impacting spring training and we're talking about potentially impacting games. I am trying to be the mouthpiece of the baseball fan here. I'm trying to be the voice and the conscious of the baseball fan when I say this. Please find a way to make this happen. These two sides have got to get together for the good of the sport. This league cannot afford to miss a significant amount of games. They might be able to absorb missing some of April Like in 95, after the strike, they came back at the end of April and they played a 144-game season. If that happened, I think baseball would be okay. The regular season is already, I would say, a little too long. So if you chopped it by 18 games, I don't think it would be the end of the world. You could probably come back from that, but I don't know that you could come back from a whole lot more than that. So please find a way to come to the table and get an agreement done here sooner rather than later. Because if baseball goes out of the stream of consciousness from people and there's bitterness and anger from fans, I don't want to think what could happen. If Major League Baseball is not playing and and not at spring training in February and not coming around the corner in March and doesn't start on time in April, there will be people. I would come back, but there will be people that continue watching the NBA playoffs, the NHL, March Madness, and counting down till football, and you won't ever get them back. And that will happen. Baseball cannot afford to be out of the stream of consciousness. And if you do, if this lockout continues beyond a reasonable point of the offseason, there's going to be problems for the sport. Look, the NHL lost an entire season, 2004-2005, an entire season was wiped away because of a lockout. And I don't know if that is still having an effect on the sport, but I can tell you this. I never got into the NHL 
and maybe I wouldn't have anyways. But I can promise you that the NHL not being on ever when I was 13 and 14 years old certainly didn't help me fall in love with the sport of hockey. And I think how many kids just like me might never fall in love with baseball if it's out of sight, out of mind. And when I was 13, 14, in 2004, 2005, let's see, 2004, 2005, actually, I would take it back. I was 15, 16, but hey. Look, there wasn't that much else to do, right? There wasn't social media. We didn't have Facebook. It was play outside, sports, and, you know, AOL Instant Messenger. Like, there video games. There was some other stuff to do, but for the most part, there wasn't that much else to do. Now, kids, if you're gone, they will move on to something else and you will not get them back. I don't know that the NHL lockout changed how I felt about hockey, but I certainly know it didn't help me get into the sport. And it will not help new, young, prospective fans get into baseball. We talk about baseball needing to gain visibility. Well, the absolute opposite of that is not playing games that are visible. The sport needs to play and play on time and it needs to play and operate in good faith i know a lot i know what the players are saying a lot of them of what they're saying is right they do deserve to not have their service time manipulated they do deserve to get paid more than five hundred thousand a year at the league minimum I, i'm with the players on that i can see some of the owners side too i applaud both sides for standing up for what they believe in but they've got to come together and find a way to get the season started on time or damn near close to on time because baseball cannot afford it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. On the field, baseball. I don't know when the next time we're going to get to talk about baseball moves is, so we're in on it today. Red Sox sign Rich Hill. They add him to the list with Michael Waka. What do we think of that move? That's coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Good news on the Red Sox, by the way. We were able to track down who we, who, uh, who we were looking for, so... Joe Doyle from Prospects Live is going to join the show in about 10 minutes to tell us about the prospects the Red Sox got from the Brewers in that deal from Hunter Renfro. So Joe Doyle will be with us in about 10 minutes from Prospects Live. So good news there. Good job by the staff tracking him down. That's the guy we wanted. So show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at prodrivercdl.com. Passenger advanced skills training as well as Class A CDL, Class B CDL, and book work and real life application of that book work as well in the field at their locations in Enosburg as well as in Milton. So again, that's pro driver CDL. Red Sox signed Rich Hill yesterday, the veteran lefty. They pair him now with Michael Waka, another move that they made this offseason. So now the Red Sox are filling out their pitching staff. We don't know how the rotation is going to line up, but they're filling out their pitching staff. And I got to tell you, I am more upset at how the pitching has been handled thus far this offseason than I am the Hunter-Renfro trade. I can reconcile the Renfro trade because I can envision 
other moves happening over the course of the offseason that make it more than okay. It's not there yet, but I can envision it being good based on something else that happens. But with the pitching right now, I'm not seeing a whole lot to be excited about now, and I'm not seeing a whole lot that could be coming to be exciting in the future in the free agent market, for sure. So, Michael Waka had an ERA of nearly six last year. And Rich Hill is about to be 42 years old and coming off a 7-8 and eight record where he pitched the back half of the year with the Mets in the National League where it's easier to pitch. Now, he started with the Rays, so he did pitch in the American Leagues, but he finished up with the Mets and he still couldn't get over 500. He did have an ERA under 4. I'll give him that. Rich Hill is not awful, but he's not a guy that I see being a valuable part of a rotation for a team that's going to the World Series. The Rays wanted to get to the World Series. They traded Rich Hill away. That tells me everything I needed to know. Rich Hill is fine, and he's great for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he's awesome for the Cincinnati Reds, and he's probably really good for the Kansas City Royals. But at 42 years old, Rich Hill is not a guy I see being able to count on for a World Series winning team, and that is what I want the Red Sox to be. Rich Hill and Michael Waka seem like this year's version of Martin Perez and Garrett Richards. They will have moments where they're good. They'll be serviceable a lot of the time. They'll have a few moments where they're awful too. And Perez and, uh, Perez and Richards were eventually replaced in this rotation. And they had a certainly a hand in this team not winning the division and having to fight for its playoff life down the stretch. So... Rich Hill and, and Michael Waka, are they upgrades over Perez and, and Richards? Probably, but they're slight upgrades. They're minor upgrades. They're not the guaranteed home runs that I want when I talk about a team that's trying to get to the World Series. I have asked for two things this offseason when it comes to the Red Sox pitching staff. I've asked for two things. One, I would like some certainty. It's why I didn't want Justin Verlander. I would like some certainty. I want sure things. Rich Hill is 42 years old, and in, and in this division, he's not a sure thing against these lineups. Tampa's lineup, Toronto's lineup, the Yankees lineup, especially where there's a ton of right-handers in New York and Toronto, he's not a sure thing. Michael Waka, ERA of six, not a sure thing. I've asked for sure things. Marcus Stroman didn't get him. I've asked for sure things. They didn't even make a move on Robbie Ray. Again, I love Hein Bloom. You know that. And the offseason is not over, but the show is today. And right now, I'm not happy with how the Red Sox pitching staff is being handled. So I asked for certainty. I haven't gotten that. And I've asked for high upside. If you're going to give me uncertainty, at least give me high upside. Carlos Rodon is the guy that I've targeted. 28 years old. Strikes out everybody. Yeah, there's injury concerns, but there's high upside there. If you're going to take a chance, take a chance on the guy with upside. Rich Hill, 42 years old, throws his curveball 65% of the time or whatever, throws 85 miles an hour. Is that high upside? No. Michael Walker, 30 years old, not high upside. He might be able to you know, just kind of be steady Eddie for you, but he's no, he's not upside. Best case scenario, it pitches to an ERA of four and a half instead of five and a half. So I didn't get certainty yet, and I haven't gotten upside. So right now, this doesn't feel like a World Series rotation. There's a lot of names here now, 
but it doesn't feel like a World Series staff or a World Series rotation. That's where we're at right now with the Red Sox. I am more mad at how the pitching has been handled than I am how the Renfro trade was handled. Now, I will flip it to the other side. I do have to acknowledge this. There is something to like about all these moves the Red Sox have made. I don't love it. They're not World Series caliber moves, but there is something to like about this. So we just had Buster Olney on from ESPN. Here is what he told me. Here is the thing that I, too, like about all these moves. Not, I don't think there are enough right now where we can say they could win the division uh, you know, or go into a season as being the favorites to win a division. But I think they're okay. Right, uh, you know, some of it will depend to some degree on the development of some of their young starters, who evolves in. I love the the safety nets effectively that you're creating. The safety net that you are creating—that is a reason to like this collection of names. You now are creating, and I will admit, you are creating a good buffer for your young guys. You are taking innings off the arms of Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock. You are taking pressure off of those young guys, and it's giving you some flexibility with those young players. So that's what Buster told us. That is the thing that I can get behind. I would love for this team to go into next season with Sale, Evaldi, Pavetta, one of the two young guys, and Stroman. I would have loved that. Stroman now signed with the Cubs. I would have certainly been okay if they went after Robbie Ray or Gosman at the prices that they went for. They didn't. Now, they have names, okay? They have a bunch of guys, Pavetta, Sale, Evaldi, Hill, Waka. They've got those five. Then they got Siebold. Then they've got Whitlock. Then they've got Hauk. And there's still the possibility of a trade. I am holding out hope the Red Sox make a trade. Rodon is still out there in the free agent market. I love him. But there's also the Oakland guys and the Cincinnati guys in the trade market. Those guys are still available. I've called for that too. So there are still options available, but right now this pitching staff isn't doing a whole lot for me in the back end. I was listening earlier today to Lou Merloni of WEEI. He had this to say also. Ideally, Bloom would like to have a big league rotation down AAA. He doesn't have that. Injuries, prospects just aren't there. So now you got to build... Starting depth at a 14-man pitching staff at the big leagues, which isn't easy to do. So what do you do? You go out and acquire guys who could be, you know, emergency starters, long relief guys, which is where I look at Waka, especially. Rich Hill, he could be sliding in that fifth spot. You got guys like Hauk still. You got guys like Whitlock still. And I think last year they saw how valuable those multiple inning guys are. You keep guys fresh out of that bullpen. I will acknowledge what Lou is saying is true also. Hyam Bloom's job is hard when it comes to the pitching staff. He doesn't have the depth internally. He doesn't have the guys down in the minor league to create a robust system of pitching. He's got to create it on the fly at the big league level. So it is, I can understand collecting names. I just wish the names were better. I, I told you all along, Alex Cobb and Zach Granke were predicted to go to the Red Sox at the beginning of the offseason. Those guys did nothing for me. And Cobb and Granke, I think both would have excited me more than Rich Hill. Maybe not Granky. Probably Cobb, though, would have excited me more. So this pitching staff right now is incomplete to me. They have a lot of names. They have a good buffer for their young pitchers. That all is good. But I am trying to win the World Series. They're going to need to do some more things there 
in order to be able to do that. Sign Carlos Rodon. Trade for Luis Castillo and Cincy. Trade for Sonny Gray. Trade for Tyler Maley. Trade for Chris Bassett. Trade for Sean Manaya. Trade for Frankie Montas. I don't know, but trade for one of those six, and I'll feel a lot better about the pitching staff. But this collection right now, it's not really for me. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, we've got Joe. We do? Okay, good. We were able to track down our guy, Joe Doyle. This is who we were looking for earlier today, and we made it happen here. So, Red Sox, sticking with the Sox. They trade Hunter Renfro late last night, right before midnight, right before the lockout happens. They trade him to the Milwaukee Brewers. They bring back Jackie Bradley Jr. They get two prospects. Those prospects are both infielders, and the, the, the names of those prospects are uh, Alex Benellis and David Hamilton. So Alex Benellis and David Hamilton, those are the guys the Red Sox are getting back. What we know about them is not a lot at this moment. Uh, Benellis, 21-year-old, who is a uh, who's an infielder, and Hamilton is a corner guy who runs pretty well. That's what we know about this team or about these guys. So Joe Doyle is with us now. So Joe, thanks for being with us. When you saw the trade, just straight out with it, what'd you think of the deal overall? I thought for what you're getting back, uh, this is a pretty good haul for the Boston Red Sox. I think it addresses some needs that the Red Sox have, whether that be uh, athleticism in the outfield and always shoring up that farm system. Hunter Renfro, you know, the Boston Red Sox have a couple of Hunter Renfros coming up that need to get at bats. And by moving him, moving his salary, I think this opens them up to do some more moves. But yeah, I mean, Alex Benellis, David Hamilton, Two good prospects, not super prospects, but definitive upside there. So both of them are infielders. Benellis is a corner infielder. Hamilton is a 24-year-old middle infielder who can really run. Are either of them close to major league ready, or is this solely about continuing to build for the future? So Hamilton's probably a little closer than Benellis, but I I wouldn't expect to see Hamilton in 2022. This is moving towards the future. They both have carrying tools, which I think is really important in prospect evaluation. Hamilton can really run. He really protects the zone. He's a good infielder, left-handed hitter. Uh, he's he's a guy that probably will never be a starter at the big league level, but he's got utility written all over him. So there, there's some intrinsic traits there that I really like. Benellis, on the other hand, he's probably a couple of years away. I mean, he was drafted this past year in 2021, and it's monster power. I mean, it is big big power drafted in the third round uh he would have gone in the first round or you know the top 50 picks had he not come up just a terrible terrible first two months of college baseball probably one of the more uh disappointing first two months in college baseball in the entire country but he really turned it up started crushing the ball posted some mammoth exit velo numbers and i think you're gonna like what you see in alex Benellis, especially if he's kind of unlocked what a lot of people expected out of him going into the 2021 season understand this i'm a big high and bloom guy i believe in what he's doing i believe in his goal to create a sustainable winner and not just a one-off winner i believe in him trying to replicate kind of what the dodgers have done where oftentimes the answer answers come from within and then you can kind of use the financial muscle when you absolutely have to so i'm a big bloom guy but this team got to the alcs should you really be dealing from your major league roster when you are that close to the world series in order to build that prospect core up again? You know, I think so. This team has Bobby Dahlbach who needs to get more seasoning. He needs to get those reps. He needs to be able to 
prove what he is at the big league level. And Tristan Cassis is not too far away. And both of those guys, they have the power that Hunter Renfro offered you. Hunter Renfro was not a, in my opinion, he, he was not a dynamic defender in right field. Now he had an absolute 80 grade howitzer arm. I mean, no, nobody can take anything away from that. But you have guys with the same type of archetype, same type of profile that need to get the the at-bats to prove and show what they are at the big league level. And I think this is a great opportunity for them to do that. This takes less. This takes some pressure off of Kike Hernandez. It takes some pressure off of Alex Verdugo in the outfield. Jackie Bradley Jr., for what he's not offensively, can still really go get it. And he's a good option for this Boston Red Sox team moving forward. And I think it's worth mentioning, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr. does have a $12 million option for 2023. And while that's probably not going to get exercised unless the bat turns around, if, if he does unlock what he was in his younger days in Boston, $12 million bucks for a you know plus center fielder with a plus arm is a pretty good deal. I mean, this could, this could really turn out strong for Boston uh, over the next two years. Do you think that Jackie Bradley, though, belongs as an everyday starter on this team, or is he a great fourth outfielder for this team? Because the option is now there. They could bring back Kyle Schwarber. They could put him in left field if they want to and kind of deal with it for a year and then make him the DH when J.D. Martinez goes away. So do they play Bradley every day, or do they go look at a Schwarber or a Chris Bryant or somebody else out there on the market? That's an interesting question. I think a lot of it actually may hang up in the CBA. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a guy that is extremely pull heavy and he's extremely hit the ball on the ground heavy. And the shift has really crushed him for the last few years since the league figured him out. If the shift has changed and, and it's, you know, that rule has moved a little bit in 2022, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. might find some more success. That being said, Playing uh, Bradley Jr. over, you know, Kike Hernandez, Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, Bobby Dahlbeck, Tristan Cassis, who's coming. These guys all got to find a spot on the field. He may lose out on some at-bats, but this is a, you know, it's a gamble play for the Red Sox in that if the rule changes uh, benefit Jackie Bradley Jr. and the bat clicks in spring training, I really think this is a, a solid move. And, you know, you had mentioned J.D. Martinez. That's another bat that you're going to have to get at-bats for with uh with hunter renfro leaving so they've got plenty of the right-handed hitting uh or left-handed hitting thump for that matter thanks very much there goes joe doyle so joe we appreciate you know you only had a couple of minutes so we appreciate you giving us some of them right now so look the prospects he likes they're not major league ready they're not top flight prospects so it's all about creating farm system depth that's what heimbloom was trying to do with this deal i get it i get it Create the farm system, build the farm system. It helps you or it helps you in a trade down the road. I'm all for that. I've called for that ever since I got here was about building a good farm system. But you want to win the World Series. So the next move better be something to help the Major League roster. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, a local sports story that I want to become the voice of. I want to become the champion of of this movement when it comes to men's basketball let's all stop calling uvm and dartmouth a rivalry i want to be the leader of that movement stop calling it a rivalry who is with me we'll talk about it next the brady farkas show on wdev it's back to the brady farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to... Dinner Jazz is coming up next, by the way, in about 10 minutes. I want to be the leader of this movement. I want to stop when UVM and Dartmouth play, specifically in men's basketball. I want to stop calling that a rivalry game. And I want to know who's with me. Well, actually, you know what? If you're against me, too, you can tell me. 802 585 3026. I want to stop calling UVM and Dartmouth the rivalry game. I get it. They've played for a long time. It's not a rivalry. They can play, they can continue to play every year. It's not a rivalry. UVM plays a lot of teams every year, and it's not a rivalry. It's okay. What UVM and Dartmouth have is proximity. They don't have a rivalry. Not in men's basketball. First and foremost, UVM and Dartmouth are not in the same conference. So that alone makes it tougher to have a rivalry. Not impossible, but tougher. Michigan and Ohio State, same conference. Cal and or, uh, UC, uh, UCLA and USC, same conference. North Carolina and Duke, same conference. Okay. Generally, rivals, when they meet, they have something on the line. Either a league title or battle for recruits. UVM and Dartmouth don't have that either. The kids that would go to Dartmouth likely wouldn't go to UVM and vice versa. So these two teams are not battling for anything in the standings. They're not battling over the same kids in recruiting. It's not a rivalry. What they have is proximity. What they have is history. And both of those things are cool. It does not make it a rivalry. I can promise you this. Not one, not one single UVM men's basketball fan looks at the calendar, and wonders, when is Dartmouth playing us? Not one. I promise you. And conversely, not one Dartmouth fan looks at the looks at the schedule and goes, when is UVM coming to town? These are non-league games that these two teams generally play, generally right around New Year's, when the students aren't around. And this year they played it earlier, but... It's not that the game doesn't mean anything. It means something record-wise, but it's not a rivalry. UVM fans, guess what? When is Albany coming to town? When are we playing Stony Brook? Oh, UMBC's beaten us a couple of times. When are they coming to town? Oh, Hartford knocked us out of the conference tournament last year. When are they coming to town this year? Those are rivalries. Conference rivalries where you play a team twice a year and there's bad blood. What UVM and Dartmouth have is proximity. They have closeness. They have history. It doesn't mean anything now. I'm going to ask Coach Brennan about this next week. He might have a different answer as somebody who's been around the program for a long time, but I don't. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I saw a local TV reporter say, Twin State rivalry renewed. I have said that many times before in my life. I'm going to stop saying that. UVM is more a rival with New Hampshire than they are with Dartmouth given that they're in the same conference. They do battle for recruits. They would battle for the same kids. They would battle for a league title together. They could play each other with a conference tournament title on the line. I'm sure Dartmouth is bigger rivals with Brown or Harvard or Yale. They're not rivals with UVM either. So I can't speak to hockey. We just saw that matchup at hockey last weekend, and UVM won it. I cannot speak to hockey. I won't speak to hockey. But when it comes to basketball, not a rivalry as far as I'm concerned. And last I checked, for there to be a rivalry, someone has to have a chance at winning. And UVM is 20-1 and 
in the last 21 matchups with Dartmouth. That's not a rivalry. That's domination. Let's stop calling it a rivalry when it's not. I'll start the petition. Who's signing it? It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. That will do it for us. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next. Here's the plan for tomorrow. A short show, a short-ish show will be off the air at about 6.30 because we have Norwich Hockey. The cadets are taking on Southern Maine. So we're going to hear from Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston a bit. But coming up tomorrow at 5.45, we're making a special uh, special room in the show for Doug Flutie. He's going to stop by. Former Patriot and Bills quarterback. Help us get us, re- get us ready for Monday night. Remember, we have no show on Monday because of Patriots-Bills. The pregame show begins at 5.30. So we got to do a little Patriots-Bills pregame in our show tomorrow. So Doug Flutie at 5.45. We'll hear from Phil Perry a little bit as well. And we'll see. Uh, there is some news on the Red Sox, too, that I want to get to as well. Full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Dinner Jazz is next with John Wilson. You're listening to WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and we are always streaming on the free WDEV radio app.